to turn to 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, and welcome back to the next part of our sermon series, A Picture of Health, Learning How We Can Have a Healthy Soul. And I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved walking through this book, the Bible, and learning along with you. Before uh, I started studying this to preach to you, I had never really given a lot of attention to 1 Thessalonians before, but I've certainly enjoyed learning and, and growing, and I hope that this has been a help to you. Uh, each week, or almost every week, we have had our friend Cavity Sam with us, so today we're going to take a look at Cavity Sam and see what problems he has today and a representative as a representative of some of the spiritual unhealth that all of us have in our lives. So uh, I'm going to take my little stethoscope here, which, by the way, this is like, this is a real stethoscope, so if you want to come see me after the service and you want to try it, enjoy it. Uh, but we have the stethoscope here, and let's go ahead and take a look and see how Cavity Sam's doing. And the problem that we have with Cavity Sam today is, somebody said, the problem today is work. <laughs> no, that, that's not the problem today. The problem is we have this, this angry, this angry, grumpy leader yelling and screaming at everybody. How many of you have ever had a boss or a supervisor uh, that just yelled, that just had a nasty attitude all the time? I am right there with you. Nobody likes to work for a leader that is just a grouch and angry and shouting and yelling. Nobody, nobody enjoys that. Uh, and you know, whenever it comes to leading, a lot of people have different ideas and different strategies for leadership. Certainly one attitude, and I think that we can all agree a, a bad approach to leadership, is that angry, grumpy, top-down, I'm the boss, I'm, you know, you do what I say because I said it kind of an attitude. And then another approach uh, is, the, is, the, is the peer pressure approach. And that can be, that can be good in, in some certain, in so, in certain circumstances, that, that peer pressure leadership uh, can be good at times. Uh, it reminds me of a story, an old fable that I've heard about this old man, a young man, and a donkey who were traveling across the countryside. And they went through a village, and the, the old man and the young boy, they were leading the donkey. And everyone in the village started criticizing the old man and the young boy, saying, what in the world are you doing? You're taking this long trip, and nobody's riding the donkey. One of you should be riding the donkey. So the young boy gets on the donkey, and the, the old man starts leading the donkey, and they get to the next village. And the next village that they get to, everyone starts criticizing uh, the young boy because they're saying, hey, what are you doing traveling through this village, uh, being lazy, riding on this donkey? The old man should be the one riding on the donkey. So the, the young boy got off the donkey, and the old man got on the donkey, and they traveled through the next village. At the next village, everyone started criticizing the, the, the two, the man, the boy, and the donkey, because they were saying, what in the world, how could you be so heartless to make this young boy uh, travel around, uh, walk around while the old man, while you get to ride on the donkey? That's just not right. So the next village, they decided that, they had explained everything that went on, so they said, why don't you both ride on the donkey? Uh, so the next village, the old man and the young boy started riding on the donkey, and they went through the next village, and Everyone was criticizing the old man and the young boy, saying, how can you be so harsh as to both ride on the donkey? Uh, and the next, the, the last time that they were seeing the old man and the young boy were walking across the countryside, both carrying the donkey. Uh, and you know, whenever it comes to peer pressure, whenever it comes to criticism, and uh, that style of leadership, you know, sometimes that can be effective. It can be effective at producing change. And certainly there's an element in scripture 
Whenever the Bible tells us about community and the Bible says about what we're supposed to do and be as a church, one of the things that the Bible says is that we're supposed to provoke one another to love and to good works. We're supposed to encourage each other. We're supposed to uh, we're supposed to almost like peer pressure each other to help each other grow in love and, and grow in doing what's right. So that's certainly not wrong whenever you think of positive peer pressure. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lays out, I think, a better way of leading. A way that if you'll take this in your life, if you'll, you'll take this leadership style and you'll apply it into your home, you'll have a better home run. Uh, if you take this and, and you start, and you may not be the boss, you may not be the supervisor in your workplace, but if you take this model, if you take this uh, imperative that Paul gives, then you'll have a better work experience. If we'll, if we'll take this in our lives and we'll start trying to reach people with the gospel, we, we take this leadership style that the Apostle Paul lays out for us in, in this next section of Scripture, I believe that we'll be more effective in reaching people with the gospel. And I believe all of us who, who know Christ, we want, our, we want our friends, we want our family members, we want our neighbors, we want those close to us, we want them to know Jesus. And if we'll take this and if we'll apply it to our lives, I believe we'll get more effective at reaching people with the gospel. And it's this. It's not anger. It's not, it's not peer pressure. It's leading with love. And that's what a healthy soul does. A healthy soul leads with love. Will you look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 9? The Bible says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Today we're going to consider this idea that a healthy soul leads with love. Let's pray together, and we'll, uh, we'll walk through the text together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us, and thank you for your grace in our lives, and thank you that whenever we think about the ultimate demonstration of love, the ultimate demonstration of love, we think about the love of Jesus. Thank you that when you led your disciples, you led your disciples to be with you. To walk with you, to know you, to see your to see your pattern of life, and to set that example of love for us. Lord, here you've put it in our hearts, and I believe from your word, you've given us the command to, to love Jesus and to love like Jesus. And as we consider what you have to say here in this passage, I ask that you would encourage us, that you would encourage our hearts as we consider that we love because of your love. I ask that you help us to love like Jesus, and I pray that you would take this to, to instill in us, to build up in us, to cultivate in us a healthy soul. And Lord, I pray that you make us more effective in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and look at verse number nine. If we could go ahead and put that up there. It says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. So as Paul changes the subject from verse number 9, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited that he's changing the subject. For some of you, uh, last week was a little bit of an awkward discussion, wasn't it, as Paul addressed uh, sexual love. 
And it was one of those moments where it was like, hey, we got through it. We made it through that section. And I think Paul here, whenever he says, and, and several commentators said this, so whenever he says, but it's touching brother with love, this is a firm, uh, a firm wording to say, all right, now it's time to change the subject. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, whenever I was a kid, I was a teenager in Arkansas, and we grew up on, it was a couple of acres of land. When my dad purchased this property, it was nothing but woods. It was nothing but wood, so we spent an entire summer, me and my brother Jason and my dad, clearing out uh, land so that we could move our, uh, so that we could move, we had a double wide trailer that we could move onto that property, that, that couple of acres of land. So we were constantly clearing out land, and we, our, our house was 600 feet away from the road. So we had our driveway, and there was uh, grass and weeds growing up all the time. And one of my jobs whenever I was in high school growing up was to, like, every single week, weed that 600-foot driveway and, and you know it was it was honestly i'm just going to be real it was pretty much torture uh we needed around the house and around uh, the property and we needed that 600 feet of driveway and that and that was torture and sometimes i would get bored as i was out there weeding so so I, I had to have a little bit of extra fun so whenever i was weeding i would come across anthills and, and you know you can judge me if you want to you can think yeah, I've grown in sanctification since then, so, so don't judge me. It was a long time ago. But whenever I would find anthills, I would get really excited because I would take my weed eater and I would demo their community. And I just had a blast with I would take that weed eater and I would start weed whacking uh, the anthill and I would just watch it fly everywhere and then seeing the millions of ants start running around everywhere and start to chase me because they weren't happy that I destroyed their house and tried to trying to eat me alive. So then I would I would I would mow it down and then I would run away. I would run away. And, and I would do that all of the time. And then one particular day I was having a blast with it and I got all the way to the end of my at the end of my the street where the mailbox was, and I saw this big, ginormous anthill. I was like, hey, this is going to be great. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I get the weed eater. I get it like going full blast. I'm ready to go right into it. And as I get the weed eater into it, all of a sudden, everything starts flying everywhere. And it starts flying all over me. And whenever it flew, over, flew all over me, I realized something. This doesn't feel like a normal anthill. And I quickly realized that it was not an anthill. It was a pile of dog poop. <laughs> <laughs> got all over my face, all over my arms, it got in my nose and my mouth, my ears, and it was, it was absolutely gross. And I tell you what, I have never run so fast in my life as once I realized what it was, I ran up and I'm like, I'm gagging the whole way up. <laughs> and I'm gagging all the way up. As I run up to the house, I take a shower. And that, that moment of running that 600 feet from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill to get it all, to get it all out of the I'm not going to gag right now. Uh, so, change the subject. Uh, that, that going from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill as fast as I could, that was a terrible, that was a painful few moments. Here in First Thessalonians 4, Paul's like, all right, we've, we've tackled something tough, and now let's transition out of this real fast. Let's transition from that conversation about, uh, about God's definition for sex and some of the awkward nature of that in the culture that we live in. And now let's talk about what he says, brotherly love. So he says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. He says, hey, you need the instruction on, on honoring God with your, with your sexuality. You need, you need instruction from God on honoring God with your, with your identity and who you are and how you live. Those, those are important. But he says, but it's touching brotherly love. You need not that I write unto you. Then he says, 
For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So he says, all right, let's change the subject. And let's talk about this brotherly love. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more in just a second. But he says, uh, you don't need for me to write to you about this. You don't need this big instruction. You don't need eight verses to, to talk about this brotherly love. And he says, here's the reason why. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And here's the big point that we see whenever we get to this verse is this. That brotherly love, that love is natural for believers. Love is natural for believers. He says, you, you don't need me to give you this big instruction on it because he says you're taught of God. That word taught of God, God taught, it literally means, hey, this is something that God put into you that you naturally have. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you naturally have this kind of brotherly love because God put that into you. I have to teach my kids to, to be kind. I have to teach my kids to say they're sorry. I have to teach my kids to be polite, but I don't have to teach them how to breathe. I don't have to teach my kids how to cry. I don't have to teach women how to fill a diaper. Why? Because that's something that is natural to them. And the Bible says that, that this brotherly love is natural. It's something that's put into you by God if you're a believer. So what is this brotherly love that he talked about? Now, whenever we talk about love, we use the word love in a lot of different ways, don't we? So, for example, I, I love my wife. I do. I love her. I love my kids. I FaceTimed Witten last night because they're all in San Antonio. And I FaceTimed him, and he just, he just, as soon as he saw me, he just started talking away. I love my son. I love my girls. I love them. I love all of you. I do. I I love you. There's, uh, there's something in my heart that just, uh, I love Sunday mornings when I get to be with you and worship God with you and study his word together with you. I love, I love hearing about what's going on in your life. I love that. I love you. I love sweet and spicy, <laughs> double patty, take out, the, take out the mustard, put in the mayo, bacon burger from Whataburger. I love the sweet and spicy bacon burger. I love it. I love their fries, Adrian. I'm, that's what I'm probably having today. We're probably going back to work this afternoon. Because uh, their fries, that one by across from that Bucky's, wherever that was in the middle of nowhere that we went to, they had these fries. That, these were like the perfect fries. I love them. I love all of those things. But I love them in very different ways. I love my wife differently than I love my kids. I love my kids in a different way than I love you. I love you in a different way than I love that sweet and glorious burger. Those are all different, but we use the same words. Okay? Um, here, Paul uses this word brotherly love, and in Greek, there are different, they, they wouldn't use the same word for all different types of love. They use different words for love. So, for example, one of the words for love that was used, that was used in the Greek language was the word eros. Uh, that Greek word eros, that's where we get our word erotic from, that's dealing with it, a, a sexual passion. Uh, another type, another word that is used is the word uh, storge, is the word storge, and that's dealing with, with family love. Uh, that's dealing with uh, how you love, uh, that's how you're dealing with loving your kids or, or, or loving your, your siblings or those kinds of things. It's storge, love. That, that's a different kind of love. There is, there's the Greek word ludus. Uh, which to me is a little bit fun to say, but that's just dealing with like this fun kind of love. This uh, the way we would say it whenever I was a kid was this this puppy love, uh, just this kind of fun, lighthearted uh, love. So there was Ludus, and then 
other word that was used for love, it was the word agape. Now, some of you are probably a little bit, and I see your faces, you're, you recognize that word. That agape love is a, is a selfless, sacrificial love. That's the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that's God so agape love. And that was the rarest use of the word agape. The, the, the rarest use of the word love was this word agape because that's something that's not natural uh, to most people. Uh, this, this just, this selfless, sacrificial love that wasn't used in a very commonly this agape love. That's the kind of love that God has. And then there's the word that Paul uses here, and the word that Paul uses here is the word phileo. Uh, phileo, or Philadelphia. So if you're familiar with the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that's called the city of brotherly love. And that's the word that is used here. He says that you would phileo, that, that you would have this Philadelphia love for each other. And he says that Concerning that kind of love, considering Philadelphia type love, uh, you don't need for me to write to you because God put that in you to believe. And here is the reason why. Multiple reasons. There's a couple reasons why. But this Philadelphia type love, this, this bonding love, uh, here is the way that it plays out just in our culture today. In our culture today. Uh, so I know that some of you in here, you served in the in the military at different at different points, and and whenever I was growing up, my dad served in the Marine Corps, so we watched these these war movies all the time, and uh, he'd watch these different war movies. And what you'd often see is you'd see the movie where where there was these different guys. They would all come into into training. They come into boot camp together, and they were all strangers. They didn't know each other. And sometimes they didn't like each other, and, and they would always fight together as they were going through boot camp. But then they would get through boot camp. And then they would go off to war, and because of all of the things that they faced together, they went from being strangers, from being enemies, to being friends, to being brothers. Uh, that is a that is that brotherly love. Is that is that love that you have for people that aren't your family, but they become your family? Uh, it happens. In, it happens in sports. Whenever teams play together, and, and you often see it in those in those championship teams where they go throughout the season, and because of all of the adversity they face. They will call each other brothers. I was watching a Hall of Fame speech the other day. For this guy who's speaking to these different players, and he says, guys, you are my brothers. They're not biological, but because of all the things they face together, they become family. And he's saying here that, that as touching brotherly love, touching this Philadelphia love, you don't need for me to write to you because God put that in you. Why did he put that in us? First of all, because of his agape love. Because we were the enemy of God. Because you were, you were a stranger from God. Before you knew Christ, because you were born in your trespasses and sin, you were a rebel against God. But because of the agape love of God, because God gave himself for you, because God sent his son who lived the perfect life for us, who died in our stead. And that's why we sing about, hey, living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away. We sing about that. We sing about the beautiful name, the, the wonderful name, the powerful name of Jesus because of his great love for us. We love him because he first loved us. And because of that agape love, because of that sacrificial love, he then puts in our hearts, he inspires in our hearts, he stirs up in our hearts this Philadelphia-type love that is natural. And then whenever we get, whenever we understand that love of God and we gather together as a church, then what we say is, oh, wow, I'm with, I'm with a group of people who... They've also been rescued by Jesus' love. They also understand my Savior. They also are a child of God. And because we are the children of God, because we were born again into God's family, because we were adopted, because we have a home in heaven, because we're all together in this, 
We look at each other and say, oh, hey, there's, there's a brother. There's a sister. And we have this Philadelphia love. Whenever I, went to, whenever I went to Bible college, I went from middle of nowhere, Arkansas, where the school that I went to, there was, I think, 50 students. And I went and I went to a small Bible college of about 1,000 students. But going from 50 to going to 1,000, that was pretty that was pretty different. I was going into a, a little bit of a different uh, a little bit of a different bubble. And I remember my parents driving me out to California, and right before my parents left, right before my parents dropped me off, they dropped me off in a Walmart, uh, and we went we went shopping to go get our last minute stuff. And I was getting supplies and I was getting food because I needed it, and getting all that stuff. And then walking around the store, I would see other. I would see parents and I would see students. And because of the dress code that, that we had at the college, you could recognize, you could spot out, hey, there's, there's another college student, there's another college student, there's another college student. So my first year, I'm all excited to train for ministry, to train to be a pastor, and I'm looking around and I say, oh, hey, look, there's someone who's training to be a pastor too. Oh, look, here's someone who's training to be a ministry. Oh, hey, look, here is a group of people in the, in the middle of that Walmart I could identify I could identify brothers in arms, if you will. I could identify fellow students. I could identify, hey, we're on the same team. And this, this love that we have for each other as a church, hey, we're, we're on the same team. We're, we're in the same family. We're loved by the same God. We were pursued by the same Savior. We've had our sins washed away. So that bonds us together. That bonds us together, and it's natural. I love seeing even last week at the wedding. Seeing people who seeing people who don't know Julius and Victoria super well say, hey, I love them and I want them to have a special day and I want them to know that they're loved by God. So we're gonna come up and we're gonna we're gonna decorate and hey, we're gonna bake cake and we're gonna uh, we're gonna do these different things and we're gonna celebrate Julius and Victoria's wedding, even for those of us who are new to knowing and loving Julius and Victoria, but it's something that's natural that God put in our hearts. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And if I could give you a, a warning from the text, he says this so strongly in verse number nine, that as touching this brotherly love, that it's, that it's God taught. Here's what he's saying. And this is a warning for us all. That if you don't have this brotherly love, if you don't have a love for God's people, if you don't have a love for the church, then he's saying, then you don't know the love of God yourself. Here's the way that John says it in verse John. 4, 7, and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not, knows not God. He that loveth not, knows not God. For God is love. The Bible says that if we, if we say that we're in the light and we hate our brother, we lie and we walk in darkness. This love that we have for believers is something that is inspired and is put into us by God. And that's something that's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's amazing to watch. But he continues in verse number 10. He says, uh, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you increase more and more. And he says, uh, this, this love has grown. It's grown to your whole region. And then he uses this word, but we beseech you. But we beseech you. That's the second time that he's used that word beseech in this chapter. In verse number one, he said, I beseech you uh, that you would abstain from fornication. And then he says again, we beseech you that you would grow in this brotherly love. We beseech you that you would grow in this family love, family of God love. We beseech you. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, this is just as important as my first command. 
My first command of this man, they're, they're the same level. I'm begging you, I'm encouraging you, I'm exhorting you to grow in this love. And here's what we need to get from, from this verse is that, that we need to grow in this love. There's always room for growth. You know, we can look at this last verse, that verse number nine about this natural, supernatural love that we have. And we can say, hey, you know what? That means that I'm, that means that I'm pretty special. That means that, that means, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that's something that, even though it's a, not, it's a gift from God, it's something that we stir up and we develop. We stir up and we develop. But he challenges us. Hey, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to give this to you that you would grow more and more. Could I ask you this question this morning? Uh, what's, what is a way and who is a person that God is calling you to grow and show up to? Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have family members who you need to show this love of Christ to. Uh, maybe you would say, hey, you know what? I do have that love for, I have that love for my church family, but, but I need to step up in my commitment. I need to step up in my, in my commitment. I need to grow in love in that way. He's challenging them that they would grow, that they would continue to grow in their love for each other. And may we all be a church that continues to, to love and to grow in loving each other, loving each other better like Jesus, that you increase more and more. And then in verse number 11, he gives practical ways, practical ways to grow in this love. Look at verse number 11, he says, and that you study to be quiet. That one's just fun. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So we get into this really practical application of love. And it's kind of, you know, whenever I say, uh, how do we practice this, how do we practice this love? The first three things that I would say if I was just making something up, I probably wouldn't say that the first three things that you should do is study to be quiet, do your own business, and to work with your own hands. But here's what Paul lays out. He's saying, hey, this is how you need to grow. Here's, here's the reason why John MacArthur said in his commentary about the book of Thessalonians is that this church of Thessalonica, they believed something that was true, uh, but they, they applied it in a wrong way. Uh, they applied it in the wrong way. So here's what they believed. They believed and understood that this is a true teaching that we're actually going to talk about a lot next Sunday. Uh, but they believed this teaching that, that Jesus could come back at any time. That, that someday... Jesus is going to come back again, and he's going to take us to be with him. And once we're with him, everything is fixed. Uh, uh, I have no more. I have no more sin. Uh, I have no more pain. I have no more sickness. I have no more disease. I have no more struggles. I have, all of that is over when Jesus comes back for me. And that is true. Uh, and, and that's a wonderful truth. That's called the doctrine of glorification, that, that in this life, even though you're a believer, you will still struggle with sin. But there is coming a day when Jesus comes and he takes you home to be with himself, where you'll have no more, you'll have no more struggles. And that's a beautiful day that we're going to focus on next week. But here's what they did. Here's what the church did. They, they said, okay, now that I believe that that's true, and they said, we believe that he's coming back like tomorrow or he's coming back at the end of the week, then nothing that I do today matters. So the best way, to, the best way that I can uh, illustrate this is 
whenever I whenever I got my job, and I know that I've shared this with you before, but I got a job at Cracker Barrel. Uh, after I graduated from college and, and I got married, I got a job at Cracker Barrel, and I'm just going to be real with you, I absolutely hated it. I hated, I hated my job at Cracker Barrel, and, and, and I had one of those bosses that was like the picture that I showed you, that was always running around screaming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but I was working at Cracker Barrel, and then after a couple of months at Cracker Barrel, I've told you this before, that I left that job at Cracker Barrel to go work at the police department. Well, whenever I was in this moment of transition, whenever I was in this moment of transition, uh, I, I went to my manager, I put in my two weeks notice, and I told him, hey, listen, uh, I got a new job, I'm working in the, in the property room, I'm maintaining evidence at Fleet Roman, it's, it's a great job, um, so I need to put in my two weeks notice, so what do I need to do? And the manager tells me, oh, you're good, I got it, I wrote it down, uh, I got it, I'll, I'll tell the other managers, congratulations, uh, just finish out your two weeks. And I worked my two weeks. I, I did my schedule. I worked. I worked at the police department my, my nine to five, and then I would go work the evening shift at Cracker Barrel. It was all it was all good. Everything was going fine. And then the end of the two weeks hit, and I'm excited. I'm ready to leave Cracker Barrel. To be honest, like years later, I still have nightmares of Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Cracker Barrel. Uh, so I was ready. I was ready to go. Well, then it, we're, I'm I'm getting ready to go, and then on Saturday, I get an email with my schedule. Now, my two weeks are up. I'm not supposed to work anymore. But they schedule me, and they schedule me to work all day on Thanksgiving. So I went to the scheduling manager, and I, and I told her, I said, listen, I put in my two weeks notice with Robert two weeks ago. Uh, why, I don't know why you scheduled me, but I can't come into work on Thanksgiving. And she was not happy. She was like, well, you should, have, you should have written it down. You were supposed to, you should have emailed me your two weeks notice. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I, I told the other manager and he said I was good to go. And she said, well, since you didn't write it down, then you have to come in and work on Thanksgiving Day. And I looked at her and I said, no, I don't. I put in my two weeks notice two weeks ago and the manager told me that I was good. I am leaving. And then she said, but... If you don't come in and work on Thanksgiving, then that's going to make it more stressful for us. <laughs> I don't work here anymore. <laughs> it's more important to me that, that my wife is happy and that my family is happy. I'm spending Thanksgiving with my family. I'm not spending Thanksgiving with you. And you know what? I probably would have had a different attitude if I was still working there. Like, if I was going to have to show up and look at the manager the next week, uh, then, then I would probably say, all right, well, let me, let me try to work something with you. Can I work in the morning? Or, or can I do something else? But no, I wasn't working there anymore. So I was, forget you. I'm having fun. Because <laughs> I didn't have to see you the next week. Well, here's what this church, some people in this church kind of took this attitude. Jesus is coming back next week. So forget you guys at work. <laughs> I'm living it up, I'm having vacation, I'm going to party, I'm going to have a great time because Jesus is coming back. So I'm not working in that field. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not cultivating those plants. I'm not picking those weeds. I'm not doing that stuff. I'm going to have fun because Jesus is coming back next week. And here's what Paul says. That is not a loving approach. And then he's going to talk more about, he's going to talk about more about the return of Jesus, which we'll talk about next week. We're not going to spend time on that today. But he's saying because of our view of when Jesus will come back, it's even more important. It's even more important that you 
loved by how you work today. So he says, here's how you practice this love. Because, because yes, Jesus could come back at any time. But the lives that we live should be lives of love in the meantime. So here's how this should look. He says, first of all, that you study to be quiet. That you study to be quiet. And here is the whole idea of studying to be quiet. You ready for this? Don't live a loud life. Be quiet. <laughs> it's, really pretty, it's really pretty straightforward, but here, here's, here's honestly the idea. Because sometimes, and, and this is a wonderful thing, this is a wonderful thing, is that whenever, especially whenever we become new believers, that we have this desire, we have this desire to, to reach everyone for Jesus. And that's a, that is a wonderful thing, and that's something that we should never lose. But we get so zealous oftentimes whenever we receive Jesus, we go into work and we start all of a sudden, we, like, we start preaching on the job. We stand on our little soapbox and we tell everyone, hey, you're a sinner and you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong. And then what happens? We become Pharisees. We become hypocrites because we, we decide that, hey, because of my love for Jesus, I'm going to make, my, I'm gonna make my, my working hours while I'm working on the clock, I'm going to make that my personal, I'm going to make that my personal platform, my personal stage to preach the gospel. And Paul said this, hey, hey, you need to live this life. You need to, you need to live this quiet life. You, here's what he's saying. He's saying whenever you go to work, just go to work and take care of your business. Go into work and be a good employee. Go into work and just love people. Uh, that's what he's saying. Just, just be a good, hard worker. And what he's saying, he's not literally saying, shut up. He's not literally saying, don't talk to anybody. That's not what he's saying at all. And we do want to preach the gospel. And we do want to love people. And we do want to share the good news of Jesus with people. But what he's saying is, hey, listen, just, just live your uh, quiet life, minding your business, and do it, and be a good employee. And that's a great way to love in the workplace. He said that you said to be quiet, and he says, and to do your own business. And to do your own business. This is a similar idea, but here's, here's, what it, here's what it's teaching. It's saying, don't be a gossip. Don't be a gossip. And this is, this is important. This is important. To not be a gossip. Because what does it say about your love? What does it say about your kindness? What does it say about your compassion if, if you're going and you're trashing the boss? You know, whenever we talk about the, the, the supervisor who's a jerk, and I understand that some of you, uh, and I've been in those situations where you've worked for a boss who was a jerk. But whenever the boss leaves the room and you just start griping to everybody else about what a jerk the boss is, that kind of, that kind of gossip isn't pleasing to Christ, and it's not loving like Jesus. So he's saying, study, be quiet, do your own business, and then he says to work with your own hands. To work with your own hands. Now, this one is big, and this one is um, this one's important for us to get. So he closes by giving this command: to work with your own hands. So remember, I told you that that idea of hey, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so we're not going to work. We're just going to party. That's what we're going to do. Uh, and Paul is correcting that idea. Another attitude that they had was because we are all made equal in Christ, uh, and the and the culture of that day looked at at manual labor as something to look down upon. That was something that the lower class did. That's something that people who were less than did to work with their hands. Now, the, the, if you, the more important you were, the more you would have more of a, of a, of a mind, of, of like a, a thinking job or, or a telling people what to do job. They would say, hey, you know what? I'm, I, I'm better because of Jesus, so I don't have to work with my hands. I don't have to do, the, I don't have to do my job. 
because I'm better than that. And Paul's saying, no, no, just, just do your job, mind your business, be a good employee, and work with your hands. And you know, I believe that this is true, that in the workplace, in your workplace, wherever you work, that the best employees, wherever you go to school, the best students should be those who know and love Jesus. Those who know and love Jesus. So he's saying, work with your hands. And here's what he's hitting really strong. And we're not going to study 2 Thessalonians next. We'll study it someday. But Paul says it even stronger by saying this. If a person will not work, then they should not that's the way that he says it. There's nothing Christ-like. There's nothing godly about laziness. There's nothing godly or Christ-like about enabling laziness. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, study to be quiet, do your own business, and work with your hands. Be a good, hard worker. Be a good employee. Here's the reason why. And this is big. In verse number 12, and this is how he closes. So he says in verse number 12 that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. So that second part of the verse that you may have lack of nothing, what he's saying there is, hey, that is how God has orchestrated things for you to be provided for. God made work. And by the way, work was created before sin. Before sin. Sometimes people think, oh, work is a result of sin. But no, God, when God made Adam, he gave him a job to take care of the gardener, to rule the wildlife, to take care. That he gave him a job before sin. So, so work isn't a result of sin. Work was designed by God for your good. So he says that you may have lack of nothing. God designed work to provide for your needs. It's a good thing. But he says in that first part of the verse that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and he's saying, listen, you understand something that's true, that Jesus can come back at any time, and you will be with him forever. And that is a beautiful day to look forward to, that we're going to enjoy, we're really going to enjoy studying next week. So you want to be here next week. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. But here's what he's saying here. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without. Because not everyone is going to be with Jesus forever. Not everyone is going to heaven. Any person, and this is a hard teaching, but it's true from God's word. Any person who rejects Jesus Christ as Savior will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. That's Bible truth. And here's what Paul says. The way that you work and the testimony that you Because whenever they realize, hey, there is a person who knows and loves 
Jesus, and there's something different about them, that whenever you have that opportunity to share the gospel, when you have that opportunity to invite them to church, when you have that opportunity to share the love of Jesus, then your testimony has paved the way for you to be able to share that truth. And let me tell you something that's beautiful, an opportunity and a responsibility that you have. As, just, as, a, uh, as what has often been referred to in the church world as a lay person. Meaning, you are a saint, you are a Christian who just goes and works an everyday job. That you have an opportunity to reach people with the gospel in your workplace that I, as a preacher of the gospel, will never have. You have an opportunity by just being a good employee, by loving people like Jesus, by sharing your faith when you have appropriate opportunities to do so, by just doing that, you have better opportunities to reach people with the gospel than I do because my week is spent ministering to and shepherding you, studying for sermons, and I don't have a I don't have a workplace during the week that I go to. This is my workplace. That's my that's my office. And there's not a lot of lost people that are just working around the building throughout the week. But you work around lost people. You work around people. So choose to love like Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Your job isn't, your job is not just something that you do. Your job is a calling that you have. You're not just an employee. You're a missionary. You're a missionary at your place of work. And God can use your life in wonderful and incredible ways. But you have to look at it. Sometimes it's not hard because we all face people who are jerks and we all face people who are rude and we all face people who are unkind. But the best influence is not being a jerk back. The best influence is love. The best influence is love. So let's go out this week and let's love like Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and your grace in our lives. And thank you that you are coming back. That someday we will get to be with you in your presence, physically and personally, forever. And we look forward to that day. And we look forward to learning more about that next week. But Lord, while we're here, you have given us a special call. A special calling to go to work, to work hard, to love people. Pray that.